I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hook them up with E and Rod P. Brought to you by Bud Light on the Horn. All my friends know the low rider. Man, what a uh, Wednesday it is. Day one of November 2023. 11th month uh, will be a fun one. A lot of big college football games to come. As we say, Rod, November to remember. Make it one. Longhorns have that opportunity now. K-State coming to town on Saturday. Uh, Dallas Cowboys can start November with a game to remember. They play the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. And the Texas Rangers can certainly start their November well with their first ever world championship tonight in game five. They've got Nathan Evaldi on the mound. Their ace, who's been so good. He didn't pitch great in the uh, opener. They won the Rangers had to come back and win with the, the late home runs. But Evaldi gets a chance to make amends. And Rod pick up that historic fifth win. Fifth win of a postseason run. He still would hold the record if he wins. How about this? Etch your name in the record book and clinch a world championship tonight. It can happen. Kidavaldi would become the first pitcher ever to have five wins over one postseason, all as a starter. All as a starter. He'll get the ball tonight for the Rangers, who rallied around the injuries to Max Scherzer and Adolis Garcia last night. And, uh, gosh, even all the way down to the bottom of the order, Travis Jankowski had a big night. Marcus Simeon had a huge night. And the Rangers routed the Diamondbacks. Final score was 11-7, but it was 10-0 when it was time for yeah, the Yeah, it, it was over pretty quick. But I know they rallied back. It made it interesting, I guess. Well, five-run second, five-run <laughs> third. And the Rangers, talk about all the firsts that they're doing. They're the first team ever to uh, have two five-run rallies with two outs in the same World Series game. Yes. Yeah, or same postseason game. Same, yes, that's wild. And that was, if you were watching this game last night, it was, I mean, that's, if you're a Diamondbacks fan, that's just gut-wrenching. Two out, two out rallies where you've got gotten the first two outs. You got We're it. good. We just got to get it, get it out, get out of here, go back to the dugout, go hit. Got them in the hole. Got them right where you want them. And they go on to score five runs. They don't just do it once. They do it twice. That's crazy. In back-to-back frames. Been that been is a, just demoralizing. Two out, two out baseball team all year. That's, that's they have. Yeah. I mean, that's their still when, when they when they clinch this thing and as we said, forty-two of the forty-nine that have gotten to this point have clinched it. We won't talk about the six or five or six that haven't. <laughs> Cubs were Cubs Indians, the last or Guardians now, but the Cubs Indians at the time. Last time it happened, but um, you know the odds are all there. And when they clinch this, this team will put its name among the history books for doing a lot of things. I mean, uh, You're right. offense, the road, the, right, the postseason, ten and zero in the postseason. Yeah, the road wins too. Uh, coming there. as a wild card all the Second way. Road wins, yeah. Uh, didn't even win the division because they coughed it up on the last day. But yeah, it's been a fun run and and you know what as a baseball fan in texas i'll be happy that the world championship comes back to texas uh it's gonna make this for the rivalry, second straight year he's gonna make this rivalry one of the best rivalries in sports it, it really at in, 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 in any sport any get your level. tickets now for next year's you <laughs> oh, know 12 matchups that's gonna be expensive now yeah yeah you mean we're talking about the but the two back-to-back world champions now playing each other and we'll that's see who the expensive. astros hired to, to to skipper them and shepherd them with uh, the the retirement of dusty baker they've got uh I did see – somebody told me Joe Espada is the leading contender, uh, somebody I trust a lot, the Joe Espada, the bench coach. But uh, one name to watch is Craig Council. Craig Council is the name that has apparently impressed the Astros because they're doing their – Craig Council. In, former player, former Florida Mar- Marlins manager. 
Um, scrappy player at the time. That one wouldn't, you know, it really comes down to what Jim Crane and uh, Dana Brown want to do, go outside the organization or stay inside. Uh, Joe Espada has interviewed for a lot of s- s- positions, but it kind of feels like he's been waiting his turn to take this job. Uh, so we'll see. But the Astros, they're not going to announce that until this is over. But the Rangers have a chance to end it tonight in Game 5 with Nathan Avaldi on the mound. Uh, now you're going to face Zach Gallon, who's the best pitcher of the D-backs. So if they're going to make a last stand, it'll be with, with Gallon on the mound tonight. But they just seem like a team that, I don't want to say they're beaten, but, man, that, that was tough last night to come in knowing Scherzer's out, knowing uh, no Garcia. You got a chance here to get this thing in your advantage with three straight games in your ballpark, and just to get pulverized like that—that's that, rough. Yeah, no, it is. I, 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 I feel gentlemen sweep on uh, on the horizon here. I don't want to jinx it for the Rangers fans. Gentlemen sweep. Feel, but That'd I, be the five gamer. Yeah, uh, I and I will say again, Ty, Ty, I, I will send this to Ty. I'll screenshot it. But right before the first pitch of Game One, I texted my good buddy Stu, who's the the biggest Ranger fan I know in the world, and said, "I'm feeling sweep." I'm feeling sweet. And he said, I hope for the Rangers. I said, oh, yeah, for the Rangers. <laughs> he yeah. was like, or, no, I, I just – and, it, it, you know, they were fortunate not to lose the first two games for crying out loud, so I wasn't looking very prophetic. But now the gentleman sweep is in play here, the five-game sweep, and uh, we'll see with Nathan Avaldi against Zach Allen tonight. 7.03, first pitch. And I hate to say it because I don't want to – it should be positive about the Rangers, but the, the TV ratings as expected, Rod, are not good. No, just because the Diamondbacks just don't have enough recognizable yeah, names and talent. And I said, yeah. the Rangers are doing that part. The Rangers had, well, how many All-Stars? Seven? Yeah. Some but the Rangers have also not been in the national scene for a while. They're Very new to the, to the party. Like it had been Houston, Philadelphia, who were in it last year. But still, you're not going to bring with all that's going on. You know, the when NFL, we mania, the NFL, college yeah. football playoff rankings. Unless you're a fan of one of these two teams, you're probably or a diehard baseball fan, you're probably not going to make an appointment to see it. This is true. And then you turn it on, it's ten nothing in the third third inning, you're like, all right, Done. moving I'm on. Go watch Grey's Anatomy <laughs> or something. <Yeah. laughs> Whatever kids are watching these days. Of all the shows you chose to, to drop I don't there. Grey's Anatomy. Interesting choice. <laughs> Which by what's the way, on? I, used I don't to... even know what's on. Ba- the Golden Bachelor. <laughs> oh yeah. I've heard about this show. That's gotta be a terrible idea, right? The Golden Ratings Bachelor. Ratings are a killer. I'm sure they are, because the Bachelor always kills it. The Bachelor's the ratings always bachelor. The ratings for the Bachelor are always high, but man, the Golden Bachelor? 72, 73-year-old dude looking for love. Are, those, are, the, women even, are the women even attractive on the There's Golden no Bachelor? There's no way he's that old, right? Yeah, he's old. Oh, no, he's old. He's, he's, yeah, he's old. Yeah, he's old. Well, but, you know when they do the home visits now? Like he's meeting, she and they, they the ladies are meeting his grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Come on, man. That's uh, I would say that that might have been unnecessary. The golden bachelor, but, can't wait but it's killing it in the rating season or episode. Oh, yeah. oh no! Sweet. What I, I can wait for it. That's because now you're having more and more older single people, though. Well, back in the day, older people you didn't have many old single. Well, it people. also now, is this who wa- voice who, old single people. Well, let's also say this: who watches over the air television channels? Old people. Old people. Old people. <laughs> same people that vote. Old people. Same people yep. usually decide who wins our elections. Yep. Because uh, young people don't watch over the air television and they don't vote. And for why, crying out loud. Why aren't they watching the World Series? Old people watch baseball too. Because they're watching. That's why I said they're, <laughs> they're time for the Golden, Golden Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> they're the Some America's there. Got Talent or something. You know, oh, voice. Actually, the voice is on. Yeah, my uh, my mother-in-law loves those types of shows, the voice and stuff. That she loves. She loves those America's Got Talent yeah. shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's where it's going. But the Rangers have a chance to clinch it tonight, and let's hope they do. I'll be rooting for them. Sorry, Ty. I will be. Also, we had the NFL trade deadline. Rod, we've talked about the trades and the trade the Cowboys didn't make. A lot of Cowboys fans were hoping for Derrick Henry. Let me ask Ty this. Ty, are you disappointed that they didn't make a deal, or are you good with it? Uh, I like our guess. 
I uh, like our guys. He went Jerry Jones. He but I, I'm Jones. still not bought into the back into the Cowboys yet. I'm, I'm, which uh, which trade was made by an NFC contender or any of the trades most concerns you if you're a Cowboys fan? Um, none of them. Oh, that's good. I ain't scared of nobody. Oh, Except for the 49ers. Uh, you, Except say, for the 49ers. Uh, you should be afraid. I think this, this game this, this game this weekend, I think, will will put a lot of people back on the Cowboys, uh, you know, the, the, the fandom train. It might, it might put me back on. I think Dak's actually going to have Are a really you picking them game. to win this game? I, I, I might, we're going to have to wait till Friday, but I'm, I'm leaning right. that way. Rod, let me ask you, the football theorist and not the, the, the fan in the box over there, what is your pick? Is the, who, who made the best trade? That and is it, good. You can go back a little while, too. Who made the best trade? Um, honestly, right now, I'm thinking the – I hate to say it. I think the Eagles might have made the best trade. If you're talking about the specific need and then filling that need with the best possible option available, and I didn't even know Kevin Byer was available um, – I think they might have done it. The 49ers don't have a needed pass rusher. They just like stockpiling pass rushers. They don't really need a pass rusher. But, hell, I mean, it's one of those premium positions that you can't have – you can never have too many great pass rushers. Well, they and, and they one? got Chase Young for the stretch run for, the, for a third-round comp pick. Yeah, value, great. They got a great value, and they, you know, they basically built on an, something that was already a strength. But for the Eagles, they, they were actually weak in sec, their, their secondary. Their pass defense is actually one of the liabilities on this team. It's one of the few liabilities Yeah, they're 25th in passer yeah. uh, rating allowed. And that, that actually addresses the need. So most teams, I don't know. they Seahawks and Leonard the, Williams. Seahawks needed to bolster their run defense. That was good. You're right. That was a good one. And that's a guy they needed, and uh, you know they pretty much got the Giants to pay for the deal the rest of the way. And the Seahawks now lead the Niners, so you know when you play the Niners, you better be able to stop the run and Christian McCaffrey. So you know that's the division you got to win. So I would put Seattle up there, and I, I agree with you about Philadelphia, and they addressed that last week with the Bayer trade, uh, and he'll be on the field. Um, you know, the, the, does it matter to you as a Niner fan if you make this trade and don't re-sign Chase Young in the offseason? No, no, because you're, this is an all-in year for you. You're trying to go all-in. And you got that luxury, right? Because how much are you paying for Brock Purdy? What are you paying for? Him? Not much. Like nine hundred some thousand dollars Well, and you just year. signed Nick Boza to the mega deal. Um, you know, you're getting the cheaper end of Christian McCaffrey's contract, which is a good thing, too. But yep. you just gave Debo big money. So, you know, well, that's, you know, when, when they get Trent Williams back and they get Debo Samuel back, I know they've hit this three-game skid, but they're still player for player the most talented roster no in pro football. And now they've added the number two pick of the draft just three drafts ago. How do they keep doing this? Like, like them and the Eagles, like, how do they keep to pull off this type of stuff? Like, well, how does it happen? Yeah. That they're just that much savvier than everybody else? Yeah. I they, guess so. They, 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 the Eagles do it too, man. The Eagles, I'm saying the Eagles and the 49ers, how do they keep doing this? Well, because Jerry likes his guys. I mean, like these these deals are out there for other teams to actually, you know, inquire about as well. And it's like, well, why couldn't? Well, I that's would, the, the one that, that that scratches my head or makes me scratch my head is how does Chicago give up a second round pick to get Montez Sweat? Yet the 49ers then later in the day turn and send a third, third round, round cop pick. Because <laughs> yeah. remember, third round cop picks are after the third round's over. Yeah, that's true. The picks that they sandwich in there between the third and the fourth round yeah. on day two. Well, they got that for Chase Young. Both need re-signed. Montez Sweat is a little older than Chase Young. Uh, both are real good players. I'm real not saying players. that, but you gave up a second, and you know the Bears' second's pretty high. Bears yeah. aren't good. Yeah. And, they, <laughs> yeah. and nothing. You're not good. What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you, are you trading? Well, for? okay. Here, here would be the Bears' argument: 
is and, and they screwed this up last year with Chase Claypool. Remember they gave up a second round pick to get Chase they Claypool? Did. That yeah. didn't work. That did not work. And then their their argument was, well, we we're not going to find a receiver of that caliber in the second round of this draft, which wrong. Uh, their Puka Nakua was available in the second round of this draft. Mm-hmm. Or I, I go down a list of good receivers. Exactly. Jalen Hyatt. Um, Miscalculation there. And but you know their their argument is the same. They're they're going, you know making the same choice again we're not going to be able to get a, the, the the pass rush market in the draft is thin so we're going to get a guy that we need a need position by giving up a second round pick i don't and then all of a sudden you're thinking okay i can talk myself into that being logical but then the niners do it for a third but don't try to resign him though what is, well they're what? already actively trying to resign him and they got a ton of cap space bears have a ton of cap space they need it yeah but, <laughs> well but they so they're gonna need it because well, they're bad the other argument in the windy city is that the bears were going to pursue one of these two guys heavily in free agency and now they've already got him, okay. and they can try to sign him before free agency or tag him. Uh, you go ahead and use your franchise tag. And, look, you might see the Bears go back after Chase Young, too, and try to add both of those dudes. Yeah, the Bears doing a lot of stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. You're right about that. <laughs> they can do all the mental gymnastics you want to. Dude, that stuff doesn't make a lot of sense. But you know what? The Bears sense. may end up with the number one and two pick. That, now that is – there you go. <laughs> now that, to me, that's what you focus on, that you're going to re- rebuild this thing with the number one, number two pick, and you're going to get yourself a quarterback of the future. Oh, and maybe Jim Harbaugh. And his, maybe Jim Harbaugh. On his way out of uh, Michigan. He, he needs an exit strategy right now. He He's needs, definitely he, coming up with an exit strategy right now. And the NFL, I think, will be the exit strategy. Well, well you know what? You know who you feel bad for? The players of Michigan because this now becomes a distraction they have to deal with, and it's not their fault. Yeah. Uh, they may be benefiting from the sign stealing, but at the same time, they're the ones out there playing – they're going to get, uh, you know, this will be this will be a taint for them, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, they're, they're playing great football. So They're a good team, though. We just don't know how much the science-setting operation has helped them. them. And so we don't know how much it is. It may have helped them, you know, a lot. It may have helped them just a little. Maybe it's a negligible difference. We'll find out now because I'm pretty sure with everybody snooping around there, but you know they what players know, can't operate in the same you know, fashion they you were. You've got to think there are some players that are missing going, man, I wondered how we kept popping right into the right play. Over, like we were always and, right on top of Coach always told <laughs> Coach our, always told Our game planning and preparation was way better than everybody else's. Yeah. And our adjustments are amazing. Like, yeah, on the field, we're like, oh, yeah, let's get into this play. Oh, it's going to work. Yeah. And then it works. Yeah, it oh, works. It's unbelievable. We got the best coaches in the country. Oh, we're so, oh now they're kind of thinking, huh. <laughs> I wonder if that was something that was going on there. Yeah, could be something like that. All right, so the deadline winners and losers, plus uh, the Michigan thing. Josh McDaniel out in Vegas. Uh, Dave Ziegler, the GM, out. Uh, sounds like uh, Mark Davis went down in the locker room after the game on Monday night and heard what Devontae Adams was saying and said, you know what? Our players don't trust our coaches. They don't. Our players don't like our coach. Mm-hmm. Our players don't want to play for our coach. And so I got to fire the coach. Got to move on. Can't, um, can't fire all the players. Yep. I got to fire the coach. And your coach had not proven much Take anyway. your GM with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it was just him admitting he had made a mistake in hiring Josh McDaniels in the first place. The truth is, Josh McDaniels probably wasn't the best candidate for that job. And I'm not sure how he convinced Mark Davis that he was the top candidate for that job. Because the truth is, he didn't have anything on his resume that showed you that he was ready for another opportunity as a head coach other than he was a Belichickian coach. And by the way, by that time, and as we've talked about, everybody around the league, you know, Belichickian coaches don't necessarily translate in the NFL. It doesn't happen. Well, somebody has to have told Mark Davis sooner you get your hair cut right. <laughs> but you can't get that right. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't get your haircut right, Rod, yeah, and you're a billionaire. A Nobody's going to tell that boss, hey, man, you gotta get, who's going to tell him? Some girl. Only a woman can tell him that. <laughs> yeah. But then she she's going to lose a sugar daddy. That's right. You don't want to do that. How about um, this? Josh McDaniels, first head coach in NFL history to be fired before the end of his second season 
for two different teams. Denver. Now Come on. In the same division. Come on, learn your, learn your lesson. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we got all that plus going behind the burn orange curtain. But uh, since we missed it in the last hour because we had a great guest, Tim Fitzgerald, breaking down the K-State side of this big big showdown game on Saturday, let's get Rod's rant. Uh, should have been at 9.15. It's at 10.15. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, so we were just talking about Josh McDaniels and him being being relieved of his duty as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And I think this started actually with Devontae Adams. Earlier this year, multiple times, he has gone on the record with the media about how disgruntled he is about his role, but also about the culture of the team. Got a couple of cuts here. Um, One is from earlier this year, like I want to say it was the end of September, so maybe around week four of the NFL season. And the other was from last week where uh, he was on SportsCenter being asked about that Detroit uh, game. So just from this past Monday, the Detroit uh, game where they lost to the Detroit Lions. So if you don't mind, Ty, would you pull up the first cut, which is not the SportsCenter one. This was the the one that I sent you via the DMs of Devontae Adams from earlier this year in September around week four. I don't act like it's all crazy. It's it's week three, but... I don't got time to wait around, you know, and it's not a personal thing. I mean, it is a personal thing, but it ain't just about me. But, I mean, it's not my mentality to sit here and try to take all season to figure it out. You use these early games like this to establish our identity, and we, uh, we're not doing things the right way to, to establish a winning culture um, early in the season. So we got to do something to, to turn that around. Doing something about it so that when we go out there the next time, it looks different. It's not supposed to, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the theme of this year is doing it, not just talking about it and figuring out what we need to do. We did all that last year. This year we got to be about it. My apologies. All right. Um, that's Devontae Adams earlier this year. And this is Devontae Adams on uh, SportsCenter recently um, talking about the loss to the Detroit Lions. I don't know what to say at this moment. I, I truly don't. I wish I had the, the words to, you know, to say something that's not going to get blown up in the media and, and taken out of context. So I'm going to just, I, I truly, I just don't know. What are you feeling right now? Can you elaborate on anything going through your mind? Frustration, but I mean, that's, that kind of goes without saying. Devontae, I know you said that you know you have confidence whenever you're out there in offense's ability, but is it kind of hard to, to maintain that when the results are what they've been? No, it's not hard to maintain the confidence in our offense. It's just hard to curb your frustration when you can't put it together when you know you should. So there you go. So Devontae Adams, he got some criticism for those comments saying that he was airing the team's dirty laundry. And now it seems like he was in a cryptic way trying to let everybody know what was going on, that they were not uh, they were not solving the problems around there. They were not getting better week to week. And it was a bad overall culture. And I think uh, that may have led to the ownership deciding, all right, you know what, we're moving on. So if, if it wasn't directly related to De- Devontae Adams' comments, I think on a, you know, I, I think indirectly, it was definitely his comments that, that sparked some of this, may have lit the fuse, if you will. I'll just say this, and I said it earlier, Bill Belichick coaching trees, uh, Belichick, Belichick coaches from his coaching tree, 
they're all bad at the NFL level, and I don't necessarily know why, but my theory is this. Bill Belichick is not a very uh, open, forthcoming. He is not, uh, and he's not a share. He doesn't share not a, a lot mentor, of, Rod. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not a mentor. He doesn't share. And maybe he is a mentor for some people. Maybe they consider him that. But I'm just going off what I know. I, I know that he he doesn't like to share with the media, right? He mumbles to the media anytime they ask him a question. He is very secretive about what information he's giving out, so he doesn't share that way. Uh, we know that he doesn't even share with his own coaching staff. Remember, two years ago when Joe Judge and uh, Matt. Patricia were were designated as the offensive co- coordinator and the quarterback coach. Remember, they didn't know that until the season started. He was actually being secretive and and withheld the actual responsibility of his coaches and who was going to coordinate and call the place. They didn't know. You can go look that up. You can go Google that. His own coaches didn't know. Um, go look at the Malcolm Butler situation. Remember, he was benched before the Super Bowl. Still to this day, Tom Brady, his teammates, not even Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator, to this day know why Bill Belichick benched Malcolm Butler before the Super Bowl. Nobody knows. He carries his own amorphous playbook around, right? Uh, just a, a concept that he's collected throughout the years and he won't let any of his coaches have access to it these are facts all right this is this his personality as a as a as a human being he's just very secretive he's very clandestine he's very covert that makes sense his background he has kind of a military background right he's a he's a big fan of military strategy military history and even in the way that he is he has built his organization it was built um to really to to I think it was built in a lot of ways to replicate some of those three-letter acronym organizations, right? The FBI, the CIA. Um, he wanted to run like that. He even ran his own um, spygate operation to, uh, you know, a library to, you know, to acquire a library of illicit, you know, uh, surveillance material from other teams. We all know this kind of stuff. To me. That actually affects his coaching tree because coaches, what they need more than anything, they need information. They need data. They need you to share your philosophy, share your ideals, share your thoughts and principles with them. And then they can take that and inform their own kind of coaching philosophy, their own coaching um, identity. And he doesn't share a lot of information with coaches. As a matter of fact, he only shares with them the, the enough information for them to execute their job within the structure of his, his team and with his organization. So you don't learn everything from Bill Belichick. He doesn't open the book to you. He just gives you enough information for you to operate in an effective, effective way within the structure of his organization. And to me, that's why his coaches – when they go elsewhere, they have a hard time replicating that success. Other coaching trees, whether you're talking about Bill Parcells, or you're talking about Bill Walsh or Andy Reid, you have numerous successful coaches who came from those coaching trees. John Harbaugh, Doug Peterson, Sean McDermott from the Andy Reid coaching tree, uh, from the Bill Walsh coaching tree goes on. It's, you know, George Seifert and Mike Holmkin and Mike Shanahan. Uh, it goes on. Sam Weiss is on that coaching tree. The coaching tree for Bill Parcells. Belichick's on there. Sean Payton's on there. Todd Bowles is on there. Uh, Tom Coughlin's on there. You got some really good coaches on that coaching tree, and I think that's because those guys were able to siphon a ton of information from those coaches. You won't get a ton of information from Bill Belichick because he doesn't share information in that regard. Guys like Bill Parcells, he was an analyst. He was a, a, a he was an author of a New York Times bestseller. He was a guy that loved to hold court with the media and, and crack jokes and and tell them what's wrong with his team. Belichick doesn't do that. Bill Walsh would he would go speak at 
at functions and he was uh, he would go speak at universities and he was very professorial about the way he approached the game and wrote lots of books so you can have all the information you had and he was an open book about hey how, how you run an organization and what you need to do to make your organization more efficient and more effective and Andy Reid famously is also very forthcoming very open and shares a lot of information with anybody who wants to learn more uh, within his coaching staff or anybody who wants to talk about the game pretty much Belichick does not share like that he doesn't and I think that's affected his coaching tree and I think that's why all of his coaches from his coaching tree have a hard time translating his lessons to the NFL because they're actually not learning his lessons because he never shares them. Yeah, uh, that is a, a great point. The Belichick coaching tree, not fertile, not fertile. Uh, Andy no. Reid's great. Bill Walsh is great, no doubt about it. Bill Parcells, uh, a lot of those guys. Well said. Rod Babers in the rants. Uh, coming up, we'll go behind the burn orange curtain. We're talking Texas football, sitting in a good spot at number seven, but got to win games. We just had a good conversation last hour with Tim Fitzgerald, kind of breaking down what K-State's all about. Uh, they are not dynamic and flashy. They are physical and efficient and uh, very sound as a football team. That's the Longhorns will deal with and how they'll do it. Rod will tell us next coming back. And behind the BOC, we get uh, what's popping before the end of the hour. Hook them up with Ian Rodby. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Yeah, bring the creed. Bring the creed. Yeah, that's good. Down in Houston, the Astros have, uh, what, ZZ Top? Rangers now have creed. Wow. You own it. But you know what? It's been a springboard. Uh, got to gotta, uh, commit to the bit. It's working right now. Commit to the bit. Yes, Ra- uh, Vegas Raiders have committed to the bit. They have already named Aiden O'Connell their starting quarterback this week and the remainder of the season safe to say they were not bought into the Jimmy Garoppolo thing in that Raider locker room. Yeah, as reported by Sports Illustrated that um, it says here after a win over the Patriots in week six, even the team's record at 3-3, three and three, McDaniels had a decision to make it quarterback with Jimmy Garoppolo's back sidelining him for week seven. Some coaches thought the right was to go, uh, the right call was to go with rookie Aiden O'Connell. The decision from McDaniels to not start O'Connell was based on the Bears starting rookie quarterback of their own uh, with the likelihood being Tyson Badgett with turned the ball over. The hope was Vegas could get a steadier performance from Brian Hoyer. Plus, O'Connell threw a pick and fumbled three times in the only start that he had. Uh, But Hoyer was picked off twice and apparently this upset uh, a lot of the folks in the organization because they thought the young buck should have gotten the start over the vet Brian Hoyer. Well, let's not forget, this is on Josh McDaniels too. You just laid out the Bill Belichick coaching tree, but you know, he did the same thing in Denver. He just alienates people. He's kind of a toxic guy, mm-hmm. uh, my way or the highway. And that's I, and I opined at the same time last year. I just couldn't believe that the Raiders. I mean, when the Raiders hired Josh McDaniel, he inherited a team that had won ten games and went to the playoffs amid a complete dumpster fire of a season. Remember, John Gruden had to step aside with the email scandal. Um, with, uh, he didn't want to, but he had to. Uh, they promoted Rich Bisaccia. 
Henry Ruggs got in his car accident and killed a woman, and that thing became an off-field mess. Mm-hmm. They had all kinds of other stuff going on off the field, and they made the playoffs, won 10 games. So if you're Josh McDaniel coming in, this isn't a rebuild. This is a, hey, let's, let's upgrade. Let's just keep – and then, then they go out and trade for Devontae Adams. Yep. Because he wants to play with Derek Carr. Right, to to reunite the college teammates from (laughs) Fresno State. And you're like, okay, this could work. And that's why I said last year in September, within three games, Josh McDaniel said he didn't like Derek Carr, who Derek Carr was a huge part of keeping that team together the year before when they made the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're telling him he's not your guy. Well, at that point, Mark Davis should have said, you know what, what are we doing here? We We just gave this guy a big contract. And now you want to move off of him to bring in your guy? Well, guess what? Fast forward to this, Rod. Your guy, Jimmy Garoppolo, who you wanted to get because you had him in New England, comes in, and within the you know, mid- middle of the season, everybody wants this rookie Aiden O'Connell because they think Jimmy Garoppolo is no good. And can't stay on the field. <laughs> right. He can't stay healthy. We need a quarterback. Oh, and Derek Carr's got a team that's uh, not, not terrible in New Orleans. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and as this says from Pro Football Talk, if Mark Davis loves the Raiders, he should set them free and pocket the roughly $10 billion in the process. Not going to happen. Sell the team. <laughs> you know how valuable NFL teams are? Not going to happen. Especially one in Vegas with Never that exactly. new stadium? Never going to happen. Um, it also says here in this sports Well, no, but he would make ten. He could sell it for $10 billion. Yeah, but what's it going to be worth in 10, 15 years? If it's worth $10 billion now, they just went up. They don't, oh. they're, not, they're not dropping the, in value. The owners just forced Dan Snyder out. Well, and, he's, not, he's not Dan Snyder. No, though. He's, he's, not. Not, he's not doing stuff like that. Dan Snyder was a degenerate piece of you-know-what. He was. Uh, four days later, uh, after that uh, loss to the Patriots, uh, sorry, that loss to the Patriots, four days later it says, oh, no, sorry, to the Bears, excuse me, to the Bears. Four days later it says McDaniels called a meeting and opened the floor to his players, allowing them to voice their you know, frustration. Um, when they were sitting at three and four, he said the hope was the meeting would lead to increased accountability. Instead, it became an airing of grievances. Oh, and players good. started going off. And apparently, in recent weeks, Davis had met with players, so the owner was well aware of those grievances and where the stars stood on the direction of the team, mainly Devontae Adams. Yeah, that's what we said this morning. Mutiny was coming. And it's coming, man. Fire the coach. Yeah. And the GM uh, who put the team together. Hey, can we uh, go behind the burn orange curtain? We're counting down the days now. Texas at K-State. 11 a.m. kick. Let's hit it. And they were all asking themselves the same question. What is behind that curtain? All right, let's talk about some Texas K-State here. We talked all uh, morning about that three-high, three-down defense that uh, you can expect from K-State. One thing you need to know about K-State, they play a lot of man. They'll probably play um, more man coverage than any of the teams that Texas has faced so far. They play a lot of man. Now they play it in different ways. Uh, They'll get to it in different ways from that three-high, three-down shell look. Uh, They do a really good job of playing man, and Texas actually hasn't – Texas received Receivers haven't performed great versus man coverage this year. They've been okay, um, but they'll probably see more man coverage in this game uh, than they've seen a lot uh, this past season. And I think the reason K-State will play a lot of more man is because I think they're going to blitz Malik Murphy. I think they're going to come after Malik Murphy as much as they can. He's a young quarterback. Uh, he hasn't seen a lot of live reps, live action in the <clears throat> couple of times he was blitzed. The BYU game, we saw him make some bad decisions. We saw some questionable footwork, saw him throw the foot, throw the ball off his back foot. I think K-State's going to try to get him to, you know, have some of those similar struggles 
that he had versus BYU, but second start, and maybe you got a more experienced quarterback, and maybe you start to see the light go off, and you start to see that baseline of consistency, hopefully, uh, from Malik a little bit more. But we saw the wild plays. We also saw some very questionable decisions from Malik. Got to clean some of that up in this game versus K-State. Now, K-State will run the three high, three down, which is three safeties, three down linemen. For those who haven't been keeping up with it, I've been talking about this for like two years. Sark's offenses, they have, you know, they have uh, struggled a little bit. And they've scored points. They haven't been shut down. But his offenses have been less effective, less efficient, all right, and less prolific versus these three high three-down defenses. And what are you looking at? Passing yards. We're looking at third down percentage, touchdown interception ratio, points per game, even in points per game, you're looking at anywhere from a nine-point difference compared to Sark's averages uh, since he's been here at Texas as a play caller to close to a two-touchdown difference if you're looking at uh, Sark's averages uh, versus three high defenses compared to his uh, offensive averages versus other types of defenses. So there's no doubt about it. Uh, It is a it is something that's a bit of Achilles heel, an Achilles heel for Sark and Sark's offenses here at Texas. So how do you combat it? What does Sark need to do to combat the three high, three down? From my notes, and I've been looking at this for the last two years, I believe the best way to uh, counter the three high, three down, uh, to force it out of its shell coverage, the best thing and most unique thing and the biggest strength of the three high, three down is the disguise. It is the distortion that it creates pre-snap. If you can eliminate the disguise and eliminate that distortion, it's just a defense playing uh, cover three or cover four or playing man coverage, or it's just a blitz, or it's just a, you know, a, uh, a simulated pressure, or it's just a zone blitz, right? When you eliminate the distortion and the malleability of that, co- that, uh, that concept prior to the snap, then it just becomes a, the type of defense that most quarterbacks have some recall with, right? They know what cover two beaters are. They know what cover four beaters are, cover three beaters. They're baked naturally into the game plan and into offensive plays. The problem is when you have the, the, the pre-snap disguise and the pre-snap distortion, you force the opposing quarterback to process everything post-snap. So instead of getting indicators pre-snap that give you a hint as to what the defense is doing, you get none of that and all your indicators or post-snap forcing you to process everything in like a two-second. All right, you got a two-second window to process everything. And honestly, for quarterbacks, it's almost – over, overwhelming to a lot of quarterbacks, and they have to check it down. That's what we saw from Quinn versus U of H, right? He didn't know they were going to run a three high, so what was he doing? A lot of check downs, a lot of check downs, a lot of check downs. So when you start looking at how it affects the passing game, it just really confuses, discombobulates opposing quarterbacks. So I think in order to get it out of its shell, to get the three high, three down defense out of its shell disguise, you force it to declare itself. And the way to do that is to go extreme formationally or extreme in your personnel groupings. That's why the 6-0 line package works really well against three high. At least it had last season. You go look at the three high defenses. Uh, when Texas played last season, when they had to, when they deployed the 6-0 line package, Texas averaged 6.8 yards per rush. That's a really good number, all right? And that's because I think the the run fits from the three high, three down. They are also disguised. They sling those run fits. So oftentimes, offensive uh, blockers on the O line, uh, guys, tight ends, wide receivers. They're not always sure about who they're supposed to block in the run fit because it doesn't declare itself to the last possible minute. And then these guys are shooting gaps from different angles 
and the offensive blockers have a hard time getting their blocking assignments. Well, if you force them to declare their run fit and get to their run fit responsibility prior to the snap, then your offensive blockers, they know, all right, this is my assignment. This is my responsibility in the run game, and you can get to it, and you can be assignment sound. Usually against a three high, you're not assignment sound because you don't even know where the hell your assignment is half the damn time. That's with the run defense, but that's why the six O-line package works really well, forces it to declare itself. Same thing in empty formation or three by one sets. Trips to one side, single receiver to the other. These very, um, you know, extreme formations, they force that coverage to declare itself. So you got three-by-one sets or empty sets. They have to get to their alignment and assignment right away. They will abandon the distortion. They will abandon the disguise to get to their alignment and assignment. And when they do that, they will show you their coverage. All right, last year, Texas, when they went empty formation, over 50% first down and touchdown rate uh, in empty formation versus the three high three down. And I went and looked at the Missouri game uh, where Missouri beat Kansas State this past season. They ran a ton of three by one, and they ran a ton of empty formation. Got explosive plays out of empty formation and three by one sets, at least five 20-plus yard pass plays out of three-by-one set, trips to one side, single receiver to the other. Oklahoma State, and we know Mike Gundy, he was the first one to actually utilize the three-high, three-down way back in 2016. And then he had Jim Knowles on his staff who perfected the three-high, three-down and now uses it with Ohio State, one of the best defenses in the country. If anybody knows the antidote to the three-high, three-down, it's him. And what did Oklahoma State run a lot of? Three-by-one sets against K-State. Tons of them. Trips to one side, single receiver to the other, except they ran the football out of it because it has the same effect. We're talking about the same uh, process. If you expose that three out three down and force it to declare itself, even in the run fits, your run responsibilities, your rush, uh, your rush uh, offense and your rush blocking is going to be more sound and it's going to be more assignment sound. So I think that's the key. And my stats, all my analytics and all my notes say it works, whether you're talking about three-by-ones or empty sets in the passing game or you're talking about six O-line packages, heavier sets, maybe even pony packages, which are two tailback sets in the running game. I think that's the way Texas should attack K-State. Good stuff with uh, the strategy in this game. We'll see if uh, Sark uh, implements three, three receivers, trips to the right, also the empty sets and the six O-line package. And you're doing it all with a backup quarterback, of course, that who will get true. all the reps this yeah, week. So. Uh, how they weaponize him. Uh, also, we've talked about Rod, uh, you know, weaponizing these running backs because Keelan Robinson coming off a real good game, couple of real good games. Savion Red, obviously Jonathan Brooks and C.J. Baxter healthy. Uh, that can help too. Yes, it can. And at the end of the day, uh, Longhorns win. Longhorns have a definitive advantage at skill position players in this game. Lines of scrimmage. And that's why Sark was up in the up in the rear end of his offensive line on Monday. He understands how important it is. They can't. You know they get they can't uh, not be physical like they were against BYU all too often. Yep. This one they can win this game if they can win the line as a scrimmage because their skill talent is, is is better even with a backup quarterback. But if they don't and they're in third and long all the time, it's going to be a challenge against this team. All right, we'll come back. I like the uh, the analysis. We will hit what's popping. What's popping? Including Rod. A, there's a there's a rivalry football game tonight that uh, I got to tell you about. I got it's near and dear to my heart. Really? Yeah. No one's going to watch it. it. Might be snowing. <laughs> Nobody. But you need to know it. about it. I told you what with Ian Rodby. Just Aaron Hogan. Rod I can pass it. Texas Sports. The whole. My body got rid of them toxins. What is popping or what's popping? I can put the What's ball popping? in the end zone, put a bed in the front.
Glad you're with us. And I uh, got somebody said, uh, E, watching you guys on Twitch, it's bitching to watch you guys on Twitch from the home studio. E's audio is a little choppy, so we'll get that addressed. We are back on Twitch and YouTube uh, here in the uh, South Austin Onion Creek home studio. Uh, this says Rod's analysis needs to be sent to the Texas coaches. I do not have confidence that the they Texas staff it. is doing this good of analysis. Way to go, Rod. They got it. They got it. Trust me, Sark's on to it. Whether Sark's he's going to use it or not. He needs to be an extremist. Sometimes Sark is too moderate in his approach. He needs to be an extremist in this game. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go Putin. <laughs> Full Putin. Yeah. Go against Rod. Well, don't wow. be a moderate. Yeah. Not to be political, but don't be yeah, a moderate. Don't be a moderate. There hey, um... So what's popping, Rod? We got uh, Sex Panther pick of the night coming up with Ty. I think Ty, you had Central Michigan last night. Is that right? Is that no, your pick? Because no. they did win. I had. I think I had Northern Illinois. Well, way to go! Central Michigan won that game. I had the Rangers too. All yes, right. he did. He uh, also, if you said you see the Toledo game last night yeah. at the Glass Bowl in Toledo, they won in a blizzard. It was a total blizzard. They won thirty-one <sighs> thirteen. Beat Buffalo. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, I switched. I switched. To I because I've been on my you know my bed slash fort I've been I told you all about earlier that I've been watching uh, all the games on in my room um, and I, I actually switched to a little bit of action NBA action even a little NHL last night Mac too. baby well so the glass ball you know in Toledo right back during the uh, hmm. you know the, the assembly line right yeah. in Detroit when they were churning out cars. You know, the, he, where I grew up in Akron, Ohio, Akron was the rubber capital of the world, right? And they have, so we'd have the rubber bowl. Oh, so okay. all the tires for all the cars came out of Akron. You had BF Goodrich and Firestone and Goodyear. That's where the Goodyear blimp is based in Akron. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, but then Toledo was all glass. That's where all the windshields and the mirrors and all that was made. Wow. Uh, Pittsburgh was steel, right? Okay. And then, so then yeah. they just chucked it up to Detroit, and that's where they made the car. But you had to, all the, all the materials, all the parts were made. Wow. Uh, in the Midwest. Right through, like the, the, right through the Rust Belt, yeah. as they call it. But okay. yeah, that, so Toledo plays at the Glass Bowl. If you go to play in a game with, with Akron, you play in the Rubber Bowl. Uh, and tonight, this is the one that's near and dear to my heart. Akron plays Kent State tonight, Rod, in 50 nights of football. All right. Akron has to travel the – actually, they'll host it at the uh, – it's now called the Infusion Stadium. It's a rubber bowl in Akron, Ohio. Uh, Kent State's about – this is like the, the, the Rust Belt version of Duke, North Carolina. Oh, it's, it's like it's like ten wow. miles apart. It's like Man. ten miles apart. Okay, they yeah, Kent State and okay. Akron. You, you. you know, it's a short drive to one. So, so, but they're both one and seven, and they both stink. And the over under is <laughs> like thirty. So, <laughs> and they might play in a blizzard tonight. <laughs> Are they ever both real good? Akron's been good. Remember when they had the bout when Terry Bowden was coaching? Zips, right? Yeah, the zips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, the they zip, actually zips have, and the flashes. The, the, actually, both of them have had good, decent football programs at times. I don't know if they have the same time. Kent State's claim to fame would be. Uh, Julian Jack Edelman. Lambert, Julian Edelman, Julian yeah, Edelman Antonio there. Gates played mm-hmm. some football there, and of course Nick Saban, his first hit, first coaching job was at Kent State. Oh, yeah, okay. And yeah. Kent State also is where who is gosh who is the longtime Washington coach, Washington Huskies. Um, who, oh yes, way back seventies eighties. Okay, he yeah, came out of Kent State. Okay. It's the cradle of coaches. So, and you know, if you go Kent State, Akron, then Youngstown's right there. Right, Youngstown's where all the Stoops boys came from. Yeah, so there's a lot of the great co- coaching yeah, Jim cradle Trestle, there too. And it's all right down one freeway. I mean, you go Akron, Kent State. And Mac Brown, or excuse me, Mac Brown. John Makovic is from a town called Barberton, which is not far either. So all those little, all those, they're all yeah. football crazy, oh, junk, yeah, junky man. people. Yeah, I was gonna say, a Midwest little group there. Yeah. Oh man, cradle of coaches. So that, but they're both one and seven. Someone's gonna win it tonight. Are you gonna it's watch a, that thing? 
Hell no. <laughs> you just give it a so shout-out. I was born on the campus, so oh, I might as well okay. I might, might want to check it out tonight. It's 6.30 ESPNU. Go Zips over go the Ghent State Flashes. Uh, also tonight, 50 Nights of Football, 6 o'clock. Ball State's at Bowling Green. That's in Bowling Green, Ohio, right on the border with Kentucky. That game is at uh, 6. Mm, I don't know about No that football one. for you tonight. You'll be watching film. Uh, I'm going to watch the film. Yeah, I'm going to finish uh, chopping up red zone stuff for Texas. I should be done but with that about So we tomorrow. get the deep dive red zone analysis. Should be tomorrow. Which could be like a colonoscopy. Yeah. Yes. I, I have no idea where it's going to take me. And, yeah, exactly. As unpleasant as one, too. Um, I have no idea where it's going to take me. So I'll finish charting the red zone place tonight and let you guys know what I find. All right. Well, we can't wait. Ty and I and everybody else should be watching the Rangers try to clinch this thing. You feeling good about it tonight, Ty? From your man-made bed at home, your little cave you've built, you feeling good? You, you know, if, if Ty good. is laid in his bed and watched these games, they've won all of them. Yes. And I'm feeling good. <laughs> so you good. need to stay there. Don't No, no deep eddy runs, right? Don't get near tight. Yeah. No booty calls tonight. Nope. Oh. Have you watched all the games alone? Uh, the only game I did not watch alone was on the one on Saturday when I went out in my penguin suit for Halloween. So, oh, that's where'd right. you get the penguin suit? By the way, I never heard this. Did, did you invent it, or you borrowed it from your buddy? One what of my one of my buddies who was uh, in a fraternity at Texas just had a bunch of you know random costumes like that for me and us pledge and other random things. So that's I'd, true. I you love do, that yeah. you have a friend who just collects random costumes. Like, well, if you're in a frat, they do all kinds of themed parties, and so you kind of have to have those, and then you just keep them. I've never been to frat, so I guess I wouldn't know that. See, exactly. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I wouldn't know you had a closet just full of random costume and <laughs> different uh, types of. Uh, well, you know me. I, you and themed. I are not. I'm not a hoarder. I don't. I, I, if I buy something new, I get rid of something. That's kind of my policy. But that always kills me come Halloween. So I'm like, oh, you know what I need? Damn it! Yes, yeah, true. Gave it away. Goodwill. Yeah, you're right. That's I needed that shirt. Goodwill is probably where you need to go for. Oh, that's uh, for yeah, Christmas. That's, you know, that's all for Halloween. You want to dress that's up? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I did actually go to Goodwill when I was on our way to do our pregame at Mockingbird Saloon last week. I stopped the one on uh, oh. Lake Austin, and I got some sunglasses because I, I went as Rip. Oh, that's right. Rip from Yellowstone. That's, I not the, some... that's not the GW, is it? Is that the GW by well, Goodwill? Well, there's a brand new one right next to Deep Eddie Cabaret. Oh, I bet they got some good stuff. Right now, brand new. Mm, brand new Goodwill. Yeah, man. Get that good stuff. For Ty goes good Deep Eddie. Ty, <laughs> you been to that Goodwill yet? Uh, the new one? I have not. I've been eyeing it every yeah. time I go to Deep Eddie, though. Mm. <laughs> You're such an old soul. I've been eyeing that Goodwill ever since. All right, Ty. Is it, what is, are the Rangers your Sex Panther pick of the night, or is there something different? you got the uh, the Rockets are playing. The, the uh, Mavericks are playing I'm tonight. With Don't bet on the Rockets. All Dallas parlay, three legs, Mavericks, Stars, Rangers, Gojers. That's good. That's good. I like that. That would actually be Dallas, Dallas, Arlington. Wow. Oh, right. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Just a thought. Get a man uh, break. Good luck. Good luck. Hey, go get him tonight, Rangers. Let's not make this uh, – Come back. If you're coming back to Arlington or Dallas, you want to be having a parade. No more games. Uh, enjoy that tonight. We'll have a Thursday edition at 6 a.m. If you missed all of the conversation this morning or any of it, go to the podcast at hornfm.com. Jim Rome is next.